Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, thanks for coming back and joining Frank and me on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here, and Frank, we are talking about forgiveness, and what a messy topic it is, isn't it? Oh my goodness. We as people has been said so often, man's inhumanity to man. We can really wound each other in a fallen world with the flesh, the power of sin and enemy, and just plain thinking we are as God uh, living under that lie from the fall, but we're a desperate God to others instead of a benevolent one. Yeah. So there's a, a lot of cleanup work that needs to be done, isn't There's, there? <laughs> there certainly is. Well, listeners, we invite you, if you missed the first episode in this series on forgiving others, uh, we invite you to go back and listen. Frank and I covered a lot of ground, foundational comments nonetheless, but, uh, but still good. And so we're going to pick up today with the thought we ended on last time, Frank, that Forgiveness is really a gift from your father today for mm. you to free you from what has been done to you in the past and to free you from what you did to yourself because of what was done to you. So mm. it's really a gift to deliver you and to restore you. And you made a comment toward the end of our time last episode, Frank, you referenced Luke 4. When Jesus basically shows up in the synagogue in Nazareth, <clears throat> reads from the scroll and basically gives his job description, and you read some words that he said, I want to just add a few things to that. And he says, I have come to bind the brokenhearted, present tense, that's now. Mm. I've come to bring freedom to the captives, now. Comfort mm. and joy to all who mourn, boy, what a blessing, that's mm. now a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness again now. So this is a gift for everybody today to be free from the wounds that we've experienced in such a way that the life and joy and rest and peace that is already ours because Christ's life is in us can be manifested in us and through us to others. And while we still remember what happened, we don't set our minds there. We set our minds on things above. We trust the Lord Jesus. We lean in closer to him. And he changes our focus. He gives us the freedom we've always wanted. So that's kind of where we're going to be focusing from now on, my friend. Did I get it right? John, you absolutely did. As I shared last time, and we'll continue to share wherever I have opportunity when we talk about this topic, this is such a passionate issue for me because this was understanding and learning, not in the lecture hall, the study hall, but in the lab of life. I was carrying a lot of bitterness and a lot of wound. And I remember I was at a sexual abuse conference once 
taught by two of the most learned scholars in our country. And they shared with all of us that the only way to true freedom was to boldly love our offender and forgive them. And everybody right away started taking notes and going, oh, yes, yes, you know, and amen. And and I raised my hand and the guy called on me, John, and he said, yes, sir. And I said, how? And I'll never forget it. He looked at me and said, you just do it. And John, that kept me in bondage <laughs> because there was no understanding given. And what you just said, John, is really the foundation for the rest of this podcast series, no matter how long it takes, they've got to get this first point because it is the foundation. Forgiveness is not for your offender. It's for you to set you free from what they did to you. And you added a very important issue, John, and what you did to yourself because of what they did to you. When bitterness kicks in, we think we're having our offender for lunch, but we're really feasting on ourselves. And this is foundational, John. I hope everybody gets this. This is for you. And I hope that makes you pay attention for the rest of this series. Well, I'm sure that between the two of us, there will be no shortage of references to that truth. Because, you know, <laughs> we've got to keep reminding ourselves yeah. and remind those we love who are listening, who need to walk the same path that we walk every day. All right, my friend, what I want to do before we take even a deeper dive into forgiveness is I want to spend some time talking about Bible verses, because okay. there are many out there that can cause a lot of confusion. Mm. We talked about Philippians 4.32. Here's another one, Colossians 3.13. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Okay, that's good. But before we discuss what forgiveness is, Frank, I want us to unpack what forgiveness isn't. And mm. we need to look at some confusing verses in the New Testament. So this is your chance. I'm going to throw you a bunch of softballs to hit them out of the park, my friend, and let's debunk some of these things. First, the ever-popular Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, and you know, and people always put so much weight on the words that are in red in Scripture. Jesus mm. said, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Well, Frank, right out of the box, this sounds like quid pro quo to me. Our forgiveness from God is only as good as our forgiveness of others. It's almost as if God watches what we do and then responds by giving us a similar amount of forgiveness. So how can that possibly be true given those two verses from Philippians and Colossians we just read? What's going on here? Oh, John. Well, this is a huge statement. I, I need to preface that. We will never understand the Bible until we understand that God works in covenants. There was an old covenant. It is no longer enforced. There is now a new covenant. The new covenant was ratified at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it changed everything. Let me just provide a brief example. 
For example, in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says the heart of man is desperately deceitful and wicked in all things. And there are so many churches today that will proclaim that verse to their people and tell believers, children of God, your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful beyond all things. The problem is, John, there is a new covenant, Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26, that was foretold in those verses, but fulfilled in Jesus Christ, where it says, I will take that old stony heart of yours and take it away and give you a new heart. And I will give you a new spirit and put my spirit in you. So, John, the confusion is so bad. I think this is very interesting to bring this up. I was talking to a guy and I said, do you have a desperately wicked and deceitful heart? And this is a dear Christian man walking with God for 50 years. And he said, oh, yes, I do. I said, well, wait a minute. I thought there was a new covenant and you have a new heart. He goes, oh, that's true, too. And I said, wait a minute, sir. (laughs) Welcome to modern day Christianity. I said, sir, they both can't be true. You can't have two hearts. So how do you explain that to me? And he said, no, God said both. So both are true. And the poor man failed to distinguish that there was an old covenant and there is now a new and the new trumps the old. So when we come to a verse like Matthew 6, and it says, forgive us as we forgive others. And there's that next verse, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. My goodness, John, who wants to live under that economy? And again, the confusion in the church. I was listening to Christian radio, uh, driving down the road. And, you know, they had the host and the co-host and the host says, what's the verse for today? And the co-host says, it's if you forgive You'll be forgiven, but if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And the host goes, oh, what a great verse to live by. And I am screaming at the radio, you nutcases, you're putting people under bondage. That is no longer true because of the cross. We now have been forgiven. And Colossians 2.13, John, you talk about a home run for the Lord Jesus Christ. He has forgiven us all our sins. And John, I'm going to trust you're a Greek scholar here. Can you tell everybody what all means in the Greek? All means all. (laughs) Did I do good? You are so (laughs) profound. (laughs) You've nailed it, my friend. You truly have. So many people get wrapped up. And you know, because we put so much emphasis on Jesus' words, and I'm not discounting them at all, but we got to really read the Gospels carefully. Because uh, Jesus, of course, was alive and ministered under the old covenant. Mm. The new covenant did not arrive with his birth. It arrived with his death. Hebrews tells us that. If we'll get to these verses today, we'll cover this. But a quick hit is that it's through his blood that Mm. we have forgiveness. And so that's where the new covenant comes in. So Mm. we've got to be careful. All right, my friend, here's another one. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what if we don't confess our sins? All right, I hear this a lot in uh, Mm. church circles today too. Unpack that for us. 
Well, John, um, number one rule of the Bible is always context. So we would never lift verse nine out of verses five and following. Sure we and can. I just did it. <laughs> and a lot of other people do too. Uh, <laughs> it's almost like when we take that verse out of context, it's almost like Jesus forgave us. But if we don't also ask for forgiveness, that forgiveness wasn't really real. Or he forgave us all the past sins, but now we got to take care of getting rid of those present tense sins by asking for forgiveness. John, when the Bible says he forgave us all our sins, if we think we have to confess our sins to get forgiven, that is actually unbelief of what Jesus says he did and accomplished in his cross and resurrection. And I go on the offensive here. I tell people, do you really not want to believe what Jesus said, that he will forgive all your sins, that he did forgive all your sins? And of course, they'll use it. Well, no, but I says, no, buts. let's look at 1 John 1, 9 in its context. And the context, John, there is obviously we're talking about some unbelievers who are sitting in church. You say, how do we know that? Because verse eight says, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar. So would a believer ever say we have no sin? Of course not. So this is a back and forth issue of in the early church starting to deal with the early forms of Gnosticism. Gnosticism wasn't full blown to about a hundred years later, but the, the beginnings of it were already there that, you know, it's all spirit. Nothing has to do with the flesh, whatever. We don't have any sin. That's just an illusion. No, no, no. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar. But listen, if you'll just confess, then you will be restored. If you notice at 1 John 1, 9, John, he doesn't say in that verse to ask for forgiveness. All he says is confess your sin. Kamalageo, it means to agree with God. So, if a person is saying they have no sin, they're a liar. They're not really saved. But those of us who confess our sin, that is a fruit that we have the life of God in us already and that we are forgiven already. So it's not telling us to ask for forgiveness. It's simply a manifestation when we agree with God that we did something wrong, that we have already been forgiven and become his child. So let me get real practical and just illustrate it. Before I understood the new covenant, John, I would do something stupid once or twice a year. <laughs> How about once or twice, three, four times a day? <laughs> I would go to God and say, oh, God, that was terrible. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. John, that's unbelief. Now that God has opened our eyes to the new covenant, the finished work of Christ, I do something like this when I mess up. Oh, God, that hurts. I was so wrong to do that. I agree with you that that was sinful. But I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to condemn myself. I'm going to thank you for the forgiveness I already have. And I'm going to learn from this choice that was so foolish to not find life in other than my Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how we do it, John. That is 1 John 1, 9 taken out of the lecture hall and put into the lab of life. All right. Let me ask you a, a devil's advocate question. What about the phrase we've all heard? for years, we've got to keep short accounts with God. 
Mm. People are sinless, confessed down to just a very few. So what do you think about that? Well, John, uh, the first thing I would ask you, since you're such a biblical scholar, is what is the scripture reference? (laughs) (laughs) I know what Jeremiah 31 says, I will remember your sin no more. But obviously that doesn't apply because I'm interpreting first John one nine correctly. The point I'm trying to bring out, my friend, yeah, of course, is I get it. just how all these misconceptions mm. tie in together. And if you look at them as a bundle, they kind of make sense. But when you look at them through the lens of scripture, distinguishing between the old and the new covenants, you realize how all these things are just nothing but a tangle of confusing lies that Jesus blew away and we keep building back up. Mm. We just need to remember that it's new covenant. If this is how we think we need to begin to change the way we think. Mm. Yeah, John. And you know, there are so many of those trite cliches. Yeah, there you go. Really the traditions of men that are repeated so often, they become sort of a dogma, like God helps those who helps themselves. That's not in the Bible. It's actually the opposite. God helps those who need help. (laughs) There's just so many, oh, God will never give you more than he can handle. Really? Oh, really? That's that's not true. I find the exact opposite. God will give you beyond what you can handle, so you'll finally look to him. 2 Corinthians 12, that's what happened to Paul. He got the thorn in the flesh, so he would trust God. And John, the whole counsel of God is the key, and the authority of the word of God is the key. I spent a long time on the phone yesterday with someone dealing with a particular issue, and I kept bringing them back to the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. It is the plumb line by which we measure these cliches, traditions of men, and our experiences. We must never forget that the enemy is a counterfeiter, He will counterfeit experience. He'll put these little trite cliches and twist the truth. And we'll end up believing them. We've got to test everything with the word of God. John, whenever in history, the church has held a high view of the authority of the Bible, the church has prospered. It's when we have a low view that we become susceptible to all kinds of lies and confusions. And John, if I could, one more thought. I can't communicate to our listeners how important this is. I taught a conference several years ago. And when I left, I was leaving out the auditorium. And there was a huge man, uh, probably 6'8", going close to 350. And he was just weeping. And so I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, are you okay? He turned around, looked at me, he said, it's you. And I said, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's me. <laughs> he goes, you don't understand. I said, okay, well, try me. He said, sir, I'm a cop. And every day I leave my home, I cry out to God in prayer. Please don't let me get stabbed or shot with unconfessed sin in my life because I don't want to go to hell. And he said, but after you showed me the Bible today and what it really says, 
I don't have to do that ever again. And then he reached out and grabbed me and hugged me. And I thought he was going to asphyxiate me. (laughs) But that is what we're talking about, John. That man was living in bondage for years because of a misunderstanding and misrepresentation that he had been taught about 1 John 1, 9. And he thought his forgiveness was ultimately dependent on him instead of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did at his cross. This is something, John, we have to proclaim loudly and confidently and continually because the truth will set people free, but even a little bit of lie will leave people in bondage. I'm so glad you brought that verse up today. That's right. Well, there's one more that I want us to tackle. I know we're sort of getting toward the end here, so I'm going to toss it out to you. And this is the question regarding whether baptism is required for forgiveness. And uh, Mm -hmm. when I go to Acts chapter 2, now, Mm -hmm. in defense of what I said earlier, this is now post-cross. The new covenant is already started. Peter says in verse 38 of Acts 2, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Mm. All right. And you know, as well as I, that there are entire large groups of believers throughout the world who believe that without baptism, there is no forgiveness. Okay. So unpack that for us, friend, and then we're going to wrap it up. John, that sounds like a major difficulty, but it's not. All we have to do here is follow Paul's words to the Ephesians, where he said he declared the whole counsel of God. And what that means is that we never look at an isolated verse independent of its context within the book in which it's found, in this case, the book of Acts, and within the context of the whole rest of the Bible. And then what we do is do our individual vocabulary work. And because we have to remember that every English translation is just that, a translation. But every single person out there can go to a Greek interlinear on their computer and it will show them the Greek. So this is something they can check and see if we're telling the truth. First of all, the word repent. The church has used that word, John, for behavior modification. We've got to clean up our act in order to come to God. I like to say BS to that, and I'm not swearing. We are in the South, John. It means bodaciously stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Metanoia is the Greek word. It is change your thinking, change your mind, not change your behavior. Be baptized. Okay, that is an outward act, a choice of the will. For the forgiveness of sins. That's the Greek word gar. And there are two ways that gar is used. One is causal, which would be you better get baptized or you won't be forgiven. But it's also explanatory. And it would be explanatory because of what we see in the rest of the whole counsel of God. In other words, change your thinking and go be baptized because of the forgiveness of your sins. Okay, well then, how can we prove that? All Peter is saying is a very consistent statement 
a consistent theme that is found in the rest of the Bible. John the Baptist said it. He said, repent, change your thinking, and bring forth the fruit of your repentance. Prove that you've changed your mind by your behavior. In other words, receive what I'm giving you, which is the Messiah, and let it change your life, which is what Messiah comes to do, because he's coming to live in and through you and manifest his life. John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. This is the same truth, same theme repeated by James. Oh, you have faith? Don't just tell me about your faith. Show me by your works. That doesn't mean we're being saved by works. It means that our works prove that we have faith. Back to the vine. Uh, the branches will bear fruit when they're connected to the vine. And so this same consistent message is all Peter was saying. Change your mind, people, about the way you've been finding your path to God. Your path to God is not you working your way to him, but receiving him and the work he did on your behalf and now manifested in obedience by being baptized. And all baptism is, John, you're going under the water. It pictures a watery grave. You're coming out of the water. That pictures the resurrection. And you just go to Romans 6. We were crucified, buried, and resurrected. And so all that we're doing with Peter, John, is manifesting what happened on the inside, on the outside because we have the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't save us. It doesn't earn us brownie points. We are simply testifying in picture form that we receive the work of Christ on our behalf. We changed our thinking about him and we're just manifesting it in our behavior. That's it. We have been crucified, buried, and resurrected, and we're going to show it because we have the forgiveness of sins. It's a beautiful, a beautiful picture of what God did uh, through what we do to show it to the world. Wow. Well said, my friend. You handled all of those problem verses easily. And just so our listeners know, these were all just toss-up questions, almost like a phone-in conversation. <laughs> he didn't really know I was going to throw those. And so you done good, my friend. Thank you, especially that last one. So all of you listeners out there who are wondering whether you need to be baptized to be saved, the answer is no. It's not necessity, but it is an expression of the truth of what's happened to you because you are now mm. in Christ. So yeah. when you do it, celebrate it. In Southern Arizona, we do it in an animal watering tank. So you step out of the tank. Don't just say, finally, my sins are forgiven and say, thank you that I've been resurrected. Mm. Uh, cool word. Well, friends, thanks for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Frank and I have been continuing our discussions into what we're calling a very meddling topic on forgiveness, not necessarily forgiveness of God toward us, but forgiveness toward one another, which is always a bit more difficult. So check out our website. We invite you to look there, OurResoluteHope.com. Lots of resources you'll find. Check out our social media outlets as well, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel with lots of full message series from Pastor Frank. And of course, we close with the same reminder from Hebrews that we always close every week. We have an anchor for our souls, 
Peter calls it a living hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope. Paul called it a blessed hope. And that hope is not anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.